Welcome to the Chronic Spoonful podcast, where we discuss real life with real chronic illness. Each week, we'll cover an aspect of real life spoony living and what that can mean for different chronic illnesses. We hope this will be a place you can go for updated spoony info and where you'll find humor because, you know, we're a little crazy, important information, and community. As a disclaimer, we just want to remind you that, yes, we'll be talking about chronic illness and health information, but we are not your doctor. Everyone's chronic illness is different, and we are absolutely not MDs, so we are not qualified to give you medical advice. We're going to tell you unequivocally to discuss anything we talk about on this podcast with your doctor. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to part three of our Cannabis and Chronic Illness series. We are so excited to continue this series, and in the past two episodes, With Michael and Holly, we have learned so much about cannabis. Seriously, I think our heads are going to explode. It's just, I I don't even know what to do with all the information that we've learned so far. And I am so excited to continue to to talk about this. I think I'm talking about this in my daily life all the time. I don't know. People might already be annoyed with me with how much I'm talking about cannabis now. But we are continuing on with Christina Montoya today, who's going to talk to us more about nutrition and our diets and how to incorporate cannabis into that area of our lives. Um, She has a fantastic story. Um, Christina actually is a registered dietitian, which is extremely exciting for all of us because, you know, we're always kind of playing with our diets and what what we eat and trying to get healthier because we all know that that helps us. But now we're going to add cannabis into that. And oh my gosh, this is this is just amazing. But she also um, is a holistic cannabis practitioner. She's got her certificate and she's going to talk a little bit more about that um, and talk, you know, more about her autoimmune story and how she, and her relationship with cannabis. And I'm going to let her tell her story and a little bit more about her qualifications because she can probably tell it a little bit better than I can. Um, But I am just like I have been waiting for this episode, Christina, because I am so excited to talk to you. Um, not just because your story is amazing, but because I think, you know, I have so many like conversations about my diet and what to eat and what how to be, you know, how to like decrease the inflammation in my body. So I think this is going to be a fantastic episode. So welcome, Christina. Welcome. And, uh, we're, we're excited um, to have you. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and tell us your story a little bit. Oh, thank you, Kelly and Nicole, for having me. It's, uh, I'm really excited. Let's see how this goes today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my story. Well, my story begins in Colombia. So I'm from Colombia and um, I have had rheumatoid arthritis for almost 20 years now. I was diagnosed in Colombia and I was, I was one of those with the pre-biologic uh, kind of phase, right? So I actually developed joint deformities. And, um, and so my uh, rheumatoid arthritis was classified as um, severe. And so it, it was very debilitating. I was only 21 years old when I was diagnosed. And I was just actually finishing my, I was on my fourth year of nutrition and dietetics in Colombia. And it was very, I remember when they were trying to figure out what I had. And my first patient as, a, as an intern in a hospital was a patient with lupus. 
And this patient was 33 years old and she was um, terminally ill with a end, um, end stage uh, kidney disease. Mm-hmm. I looked at her, she was 33, one child. I ran off that room crying. I was bawling and I went to my, my preceptor. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I, that was the one morning I struggled to comb my hair to, to even get to the hospital to start my practicum. It was physically literally painful and everything, the uncertainty, you're young, what my future holds, what am I studying for? What am I gonna do with my life? Why am I even here? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that was my, uh, that was really what I remember feeling when I was 21 and diagnosed and almost about to finish my career. But I was determined that I wanted to graduate with my, with my amazing classmates. And I pumped up with prednisone. Prednisone. We all know about prednisone. Nicole has a really good relationship with prednisone. Yes. <laughs> And so it's like, okay, love it or hate it when you need it. So I, I remember my, my, um, my godmother actually said, you're going to look amazing at your graduation. My mom got me a beautiful dress and they, they spray tanned me and they put me on the heels and I was like high on prednisone like that. And I had a blast. <laughs> oh, the blessings, the, the blessing, then the curse. There you go. Yes. The the curse. So I think I discouraged, uh, but along with rheumatoid arthritis, I also uh, discovered that I had Sjogren's syndrome. And so that was another autoimmune condition that I think is more dismissed, I guess, because there's not an actual treatment for it. But always since I was a kid, since I was eight years old, I didn't cry. I didn't have saliva. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't enjoy my food. I had digestive issues. Mm-hmm. I would fall and I would get hurt. And I was like, oh, where is this coming from? So that all came to that, I, being diagnosed when they put all the puzzles together when I got um, RA. So, so those two conditions have been really part of my life, I guess, most of my life. But the chronic pain definitely came more, I will say more from the rheumatoid arthritis. And so I remember even being in Colombia, uh, we have a similar system that in the US. So I had assigned a clinic and the pain, the pain was so severe that I literally, they will see me coming into the door of the clinic. They will hook me up with an IV with morphine and just lay me there like for four or five hours. It was, it was just like, like that. So, so they, got, they got to know me, they, they, they tried their best with what they had and at the guidelines at the time. And then magically, I because I was a chronically ill person, where am I gonna meet the love of my life? On internet. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened 20 years ago. Somebody, uh, my my husband, I, we met on Yahoo chats. Oh my God, a dialogue. I remember that. Yes, oh, yeah. I remember using that in AOL. <laughs> yep. It was yeah. my favorite. <laughs> You were one of those people that met in chat rooms. That's so awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was pretty um, kind of dramatic because the, the, 
the year that he was going to come to see me for the first time, I was fine. He was, uh, he's Muslim, and that was like shortly after 9-11, and he was not allowed to come into the country oh, or no. past the U.S., and so was such, you know, so much drama. So he was sent back to Canada. And then the year after I got diagnosed. And so I said to him, you don't need to come to see me. You can find someone healthy, honestly, right? Like you, you don't, you know, you, you don't need to sign up for this. You're, you're such a self-sacrificer. There you go. <laughs> go find um, someone healthy. <laughs> I love you that much. Oh. <laughs> And, um, but he said, no, I like you and I want to be with you. And he did. And he pushed through and he said, I'm going to take you, I'm going to bring you to Canada. And, and I know you're going to get uh, good, you know, uh, healthcare, um, you know, proper care here. Uh, please come. And so he brought me here and, and in fact, yes, like I received really good care and I, I have ever since I came to Canada. And yeah, so he's been my rock, honestly, for so we've known almost for 20 years. Like he's known me, yeah, from since I was diagnosed. Hey, everyone, That's even wonderful. with chronic illness, you can find love. That's right. That's <laughs> wonderful. So there you go. And so there's where it comes to funny part. So when I came to Canada, right, that's 2007. First thing he told me, let's go get you uh, medical cannabis. I said, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, like, do you want me to go back to Colombia? Like, I'm just moving, you know. And so it was not a conversation I'm going to have. So, so we can really talk about that. But... <laughs> later uh but the thing is that that's how i kind of came to canada so i did complete my my degree in colombia uh, nutrition dietetics i graduated but then in canada i needed to complete some um further studies to get my registration so i had to study like a two more years to get <laughs> it. so basically i i studied like nutrition for almost like six years Wow! Oh my gosh. And, and then I had to take the exam and do some practicum here to gain some Canadian experience. And so that's what it makes the difference when you see a registered dietitian when it comes to the education that they have to go through and experience. And they also that they're able to apply some uh, medical therapy nutrition as compared to unregulated nutritional professionals who maybe might do a, a, maybe a program of one year but they really don't understand what's going on with the body with other other conditions, right? Because right. someone, so and so that's what really marks the difference. As a regulator health professional, we need to be regulated by a college, and we are here to protect the public. So we want to make sure that we are serving the public well, not just because we want to sell a program and this is going to make me rich. It really is more a responsible, really. Uh, care for for our patients. Right. So yeah, there's a lot more that goes into being a registered dietitian than say a nutritionist. With a registered dietitian, you can act, I, I believe with the registered dietitian, you can actually put together meal plans for people, correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So as a registered dietitian, you, again, like you did that preparation, the you know, there's studies for four years that you do your internship. So you, you are, you're able to work in a hospital when you, you know, mm -hmm. so if, um, and recommends like a, the, the meal plans, uh, provide some medical therapy, uh, medical nutritional therapy 
uh, we can do like an enteral feeding, um, oh, parenteral wow. nutrition. So there's really more involvement and the um, with the healthcare team. And so, so there's like a, we're in part of that circle of care or we provide diabetes education. Mm-hmm. I was at one point working at a hospital where I obtained my um, diabetes certification and I was actually given an authorization by the physicians where I could prescribe insulin and medications mm-hmm. for diabetes. But you need to have that training and that's not going to be able like, to be um, but, but a nutritionist or a, a holistic nutritionist as I completed a one-year program. Right. Um, so that's what really kind of marks the difference that there's just a, that's responsibility for you as, as a human being. You're not just a number, right? Or a, a profit. Mm-hmm. Or, or that's how I see my patients. I see them as, a, as a human beings, but they're suffering. They're suffering. I think that's really important when we're looking at chronic illness because when you're looking at a dietitian, they're looking really at you as they should be looking at you. Let's be clear. They should be looking at you as an individual. Um, and, you know, this goes back to a prior, you know, one of our, well, one of our full prior episodes and things we say in almost every episode that, you know, you, you should be working with people that see you as an individual and see your needs as individual needs. And especially when it comes to diet and nutrition, you work with your patients on their individual needs, because as we all know, with chronic illness, our chronic illnesses affect us all in somewhat different ways. We may have similar diagnoses, um, like I may have EDS, my friend Rachel has EDS, you know, I'm, you know, another person has EDS, but they're affecting us all in an individual sort of way. We don't have the same symptoms all the time. And so I may need something in my diet that someone else doesn't need. Like I can't eat lettuce. So I need a diet that completely removes lettuce, rice. What else can I eat? Nicole, there's a whole list of things. There's a whole list. There's a whole list of things that I can't eat that are actually very nutritious Mm -hmm. and leaves me with limited, like I I can't eat certain meats. I can't Mm -hmm. because I get so sick. So I have like you can't just give me some random diet that goes, well, EDS patients should eat these things. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can't eat half the things on the list. Mm-hmm. It's like an individualized plan is whatever. Yeah. So is. I would need it. I need to see a dietitian because I have to have a very individualized plan. A, a nutritionist probably isn't going to be my best bet. I think that's, that's why someone like you who's, who does see their patients as individuals is so important. And it's, it's such a great point because there are sessions what I have with my patients where they honestly, it's not even about nutrition. It's, it's about, you know, you're feeling pain and you want to be hurt. You want to be understood that I'm feeling pain and I'm not imagining it, right? Like it's not in my head. Yes. And, and when they tell me I'm in pain, I totally believe it. And they said, but, uh, but then when they said to me, I said, to, I could see on their face and I said, like, how are you feeling? I'm okay. And I said, you don't have to tell me that mm-hmm. you don't have to tell me you're okay. You that's that you can tell me. I feel like shit. That's right. Yes. That's and, right. and I totally get it. So when, and I think just even hearing that it, it releases that anxiety. Yes. And so anything that comes after it feels like, a, okay, you're going to absorb better. Right. Because someone is acknowledging how I'm feeling 
And, and so that's what I love about my work. And, and it's specifically with chronic um, pain patients or chronic, really chronic pain patients is what I'm focusing more lately. And, and I agree. I, th- I think we're so used to trying to be normal for everybody's because we don't want to be a burden to everyone that we're used to telling people we're okay. That mm-hmm. we do, we walk into doctor's offices, we walk into we walk into, you know, our, our dietitian, we walk into physical therapy and they're like, how are you feeling? We're like, I'm okay. It's just, it's just an automatic yeah. response. Yeah. I'm okay. And it's like, no, we're not actually okay. We're just okay for us today. I'm a five in my pain scale, but a person who walked in off the street, if they put, were put in my body today would be like, are you kidding me? I'm at a 10. 10, 10. Yes. Yes. That's so true. Because I say like a pain is subjective, right? It's, it's yeah. so, yes, your, it's it just is. like I would talk about nutrition that is personalized. Pain is the same. Yes. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's, uh, it's, uh, when I was having my child, I went to the doctor and they, so they did a C-section, uh, and so everybody was looking after, how are you feeling? How was the C-section, like the incision? I said, honestly, feels like a paper cut. Get rid of my pain from the arthritis. <laughs> like that's what's killing me. <laughs> like, and they kept asking me about the incision. And I said, forget about the incision. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like my pain in my bones and my body is worse. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who hasn't experienced chronic pain does not understand. They like, do not get it. Like it, it, this is a minor pain in comparison to how my entire body feels right now. So that's what I said, you know, then I realized my, I, to myself, I said, this is, I can offer to my clients that maybe other um, practitioners as sympathetic, they can be right. They're all empathetic, uh, but they're not feeling pain. They don't know what it's like to live in pain. They don't know. And, yes. and so that I think just makes a difference. It just, it Absolutely. just. I, I, I'm feeling it. Like uh, the more patients I see, the more I they can relate to me. The more they stick to that, they make it the changes, and I said, "Wow, this is fabulous!" So, yeah. uh, it's so rewarding to to really do what I do. Uh, and and then when I started learning about cannabis, oh gosh. So tell us tell us a little <laughs> bit about your relationship with cannabis, because your story about your relationship to cannabis is. It's, it's on your blog, but I tell us, tell us your story. Cause it is extremely fascinating how you got from what your original opinion of cannabis was from how you grew up to where you are now is, is quite a journey. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, it, it really is a journey. I, like I said, I was, I, I was born in Colombia and grew up in the whole like narco drug cartels era. So the late 80s, early 90s. So I was a teenager. So at that point, when he, even just the mention of marijuana, which we will talk about later, it's it, for my mom and my family will just ring the bells. It was like, a, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Like uh, you just get, honestly, we got slapped just mentioning the word. So obviously for what we were going through in a country and being young. And so my parents were right, right? So it was, it was attached to that problem that we were dealing with at that time. 
So it just became so embedded that I'm never going to touch. I never, I hated the smell. I hated it. I hated it with a passion. I, the moment I smelled it, I it gave me like it, my stomach turned. That's how much I hated it. Because your, your friends and family were involved in all this, correct? When you were growing up. Uh, yes. So my, my father um, really didn't live with him that much because my mom left him for obvious reasons, but he was involved uh, at, the, at that time in the late eighties uh, dealing with uh, marijuana. So he was a, a drug dealer, um, like a small scale, not like the ones they show in Narcos, but uh, a small scale, mm-hmm. but it's still uh, very dramatic until my mom find out what was he was doing. He will make my mom roll the joints so he could sell them. And so that story, like for my mom, that's what scarred her for life. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? Because she associated not only the the marijuana, and I'm saying using that word marijuana because at that time was really damaging to what it did to my mom, but the concept that she had because she related that marijuana with abuse, with an abusive husband, with an, um, a drug dealer, with someone who wouldn't care for their family. So that definitely was a touch. We had a very negative um, connotation to, to, to marijuana because mm-hmm. at that, for her, that's what it was. It was marijuana, it was something damaging. And so um, when I was diagnosed uh, with rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> I was, it was funny because one of the friends who, they have these young guys who will, you know, will smoke the joints in the neighborhood. And so I was a good kid. I was a good girl, you know, I was studious. And they saw me talking to this guy. And, and so the whole neighbor was like, why are you talking to that guy? And so, so he gave me some <laughs> weed and I was so embarrassed. My, my face was like, oh, what am I gonna do? Because at that point we didn't know much about the medicine, but I think because we still have kind of the native and indigenous type of influence. So from my grandmother's uh, family, uh, they were told us by that infusing um, so the cannabis into alcohol and then you let it sit for a, uh, a many weeks, like a three or four weeks, then you will rub it into your joints. They didn't, we didn't drink it, but that's what they started me, like my first experience with, with cannabis or medicinal cannabis was that um, advice from one of my, uh, my grandmother's um, uh, family members. So that's how it began, but it's still, I wasn't too convinced. I say, ah, no, ah, no. So it's not gonna happen. So when I when I mentioned and the fact that they saw me with that guy, I was like, oh my god, my reputation is like. <laughs> I'm sure they weren't too happy. But my I did have another experience in in in, in college. For we were super goody goody, but then we said we gotta do something crazy. And I said, what is it? Let's make brownies. Special brownies. Oh, you're very bad. You're very bad. Oh, let's make cannabis. Oh, okay, the brownies. I was, so we made cannabis. We were like five of us. And so there we go. We filled up with, oh my God, we didn't know how much we put in that brownies. Um, Never had, none of us had ever had cannabis. Oh no. And we started eating it, right? So <laughs> nothing. Oh my God, but what's happening? Nothing's happening. An hour, 
gosh, we go get beers. Oh my God. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, so we got like a, I don't know, maybe a, a few sips of beers, really, we didn't. And then one of my friends like, this is not doing anything. Let's just keep going. Like, so he had like oh, a half of the no. brown. No. <laughs> so you guys, you know what I'm getting with this. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was very amazing is that each one of us ate like from the can of, from the brownie. Same ingredients. We, you, you consume different quantities, but we all had different reactions. I got very funny, just jiggly, 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 jiggly. <laughs> just everything was funny. My other friend was super angry. It's like, Christina, fix the room, clean up, like, fix, your mom is gonna come home. And I was like, ah, oh, shut up. And then the other one just completely, like, she just went, like, just that's passed me. out. Passed out, passed out. me. That's me. <laughs> I'd have been the friend that would have passed out, yep. <laughs> Just completely passed out. And the other one was the hallucinated one. He was in a journey out of space. Oh my goodness. Because he ate half the pan of brownies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can imagine he was messed up. <laughs> and the guy made a mess at my house because after, you know, when he came, I violent vomit. Like he just fell like horrible so when I saw that is I never touched that ever again <laughs> oh my gosh so there you go like I'm not touching that world is crazy so that was my experience but I'm glad I had it because then I'll explain why later I came to Canada so I said to you what I told my husband <laughs> I'm not touching that but that all changed actually maybe about five years ago when I was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia, there was no medication that could really calm that freaking pain. There isn't like it just, it, it's hard. I mean, fibro pain is, it's very complicated. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm understating yes. it quite a bit. It's, and it's another I, disease that hits people very differently. Like each person is very individualized. Very much so. Uh, and it's still very misunderstood. And yeah. only until recently it's been really recognized as a disease, as a condition. But before it was almost, oh, it's, uh, it's like a woman's disease. It's in yes. your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. It's from your hormones. There's all kinds of crazy stuff they came up with to dismiss the disease. So when I, I, that was the one condition that it started changing my views on Canada. Yeah. um, Definitely. Because the pain that I used to get was this burning pain that you were like, like burning needles, fucking my bones inside my, from my hands up to my shoulders. And you can probably relate to that. And it made me cry like literally cry and I wrote because I it was a pain unbearable pain I never really experienced in my life so that's when I started some of the I started hearing about a clinic so a cannabis clinic and I said yeah if I get cannabis it has to go through like the legal means <laughs> it's someone who can assess me can understand my conditions and they are aware 
or what maybe interactions may have with other medications. So because I have that maybe medical background, I, I had that understanding that, that I needed that support. So I, I started going to the clinic. And so I was advised to, to use some vape, the flour and oils at that time. And I admit, I still was not very happy about it. I didn't like the taste of the oil. The smell really threw me off. I didn't stay long for it. It was on and off. So I said, this is not working. I'm not really, no, no, not at all. So again, maybe about three years ago, I still had a few a very bad fibromyalgia attacks. And I said, okay, this time I'm serious. <laughs> I'm gonna get into this. <laughs> I went back to the clinic. And actually I did stuck to the, to the, um, to the recommendations. So I, I took my oils as they, they recommended. I'm still not crazy about vaping. I wasn't very good at smoking or anything like that. So I didn't really try that, but very consistent with my, with my oils. Uh, I have no evidence for this. So please do not take it because there's still no evidence about pregnancy and fertility and cannabis. But for 15 years, I couldn't have kids. Like I never got pregnant. Six months after taking like cannabis consistently, feeling much better from the pain, the fibromyalgia pain pretty much disappeared. I got pregnant. Oh, how what? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> what is that a side effect of cannabis? <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, you're right. There's no studies on it, but you you don't know what benefits it reaped on your body. Yeah, so this is very healing. So wow. Yeah. The, was I enjoying sex more? Ooh, never know. <laughs> never know. Could have relaxed your muscles. Could have been some right. Seriously. So that was like an eye opener. And so obviously I got pregnant and they tell me no more cannabis. I was like, why? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's, that's the point where where you're like, okay, do I really want, like, come on, come on, baby. Like just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. I I want, I didn't even know that I was pregnant and I had just taken like my first bite of like, I was like 50 milligrams of THC chocolate as I got it's a baby 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 and I was like that point that I was pregnant as a baby baby be well be well be well so so then again that's what I really it really changed my mind because once I I stopped cannabis because when I got pregnant so all the, the cannabis I stopped it like cold turkey Jesus Christ that fibromyalgia came back oh with a vengeance, oh. vengeance. So my first two months, like a pregnancy, it was absolutely painful. It, it was, it was very painful, and I missed my cannabis. <laughs> I bet. I'm sure you did. So bad. I was like, I wish I could have it, but obviously, you know, because it's something that so we don't know. And I said, I don't want to take chances. Yeah. So I didn't take it. So then um, fast forward, I had my baby. And then, like I, like I mentioned, uh, with rheumatoid arthritis, we tend to go into a remission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a wonderful two months that I have out of my pregnancy. And they said that it's expected that maybe you will get a flare up after six, six to eight weeks, right? Approximately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine came just the day after delivering the baby. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, that's awful. 
it was it was it was really awful and it was awful that it was completely dismissed by the healthcare team and and i still couldn't believe it and i said really but at, at that point what they gave me oxycontin okay and i said so how am i supposed to feed my baby if i'm like and i said okay so i had to be ready so that was again Another, um, it, it took, after two weeks, I had to go back to my medications. I had to, to stop breastfeeding because I had to choose between being well and being there for my baby because my baby not only needed milk, he also needed me to dress him and, you know, mm-hmm. take care of him. And, and also, so I had to, to make that difficult choice between breastfeeding because as a dietitian, I said, I have to breastfeed my baby, like no matter what, Yeah. right? But then I had that unbearable pain that my rheumatologist said, Christina, he will be completely fine if you like give formula and you are going to be, have more energy to enjoy motherhood and to enjoy baby, enjoy your baby. Yes. And it was a very difficult decision, but I'm glad I made it. Yeah, I don't disagree with your decision. I think I think it's a very difficult decision. I think a lot of new moms want to breastfeed because it, it's it's a natural thing you want to do, but it's we do have great formulas out there. And I think for people with chronic illness, that is that is a choice you have to make. Do you want to be there for your baby or do you want to breastfeed? And they make women feel ashamed. I've oh, noticed that a lot in society. It's like, oh, you didn't breastfeed? Like, I mean, you did the most horrendous thing you could have ever done. It's ridiculous. The baby doesn't necessarily bond just because it's getting milk from you. The baby is bonding to you because you're holding it. It's just, it's ridiculous. Well, we have a, in, in Santa Monica here in California, we have an entire, there's an organization that teaches moms how to breastfeed because you get two minutes in the hospital yeah. where they try to teach you how to breastfeed. And that just doesn't have, like, you're not going to learn. So they have an entire organization where you can go and learn how to breastfeed your baby. That's good. And it's great. I mean, it's great because a lot of moms also feel ashamed that their baby isn't taking to them and they're home and they don't know what to do. And so I think, you know, this, this place is a wonderful organization, but people shouldn't also feel any shame in saying, you know what, I just need to go to formula. This isn't working. Exactly. Or I have to take my medications to be there for my child and I'm going to go to formula. That's all okay. It's all okay. Everyone's a little bit different. And in your case, Christina, that's okay to go back to your medications and be healthy for your baby. I was a formula baby. My mom couldn't breastfeed because my mom couldn't either. She had some surgeries and she, she, they didn't want her breastfeeding. They didn't feel that that was okay. They were worried about her. I mean, I'm probably revealing too much about my mom and she would hate me for doing this, but (laughs) they didn't want her breastfeeding. They were worried about the surgery she had had and, and the, the breast milk that she would be giving us. So my sister and I both were formula babies. There's no shame in that. You know, no I mean, you want to be as healthy as you possibly can be to take care of your child. Yeah. 
And and yeah, and I think um, my dramatologist was right. It was it was an off. It was it was there was and with all the hormones, right? Like I said, at the end of the world, rushing through your system. Yeah, like no. But then as I I I started to realize that the inflammation kicked in, that it was affecting my hips. It was affecting like just my overall well being. And that I needed to get cortisol shots. Like I got like four cortisol oh. shots right after, like um, like two months after getting pregnant. Like it was oh. a very, and then I had complications from the rheumatoid arthritis. I had congestive heart failure. Oh, I had no. pulmonary edema. So it was it was just so much that breastfeeding. I was thinking. I guess at that point it was like a, really, really. Yes. <laughs> Even more like formula. Yeah, yeah, for real. Put it in a bottle with the right temperature water. (laughs) And uh, so now it's it's not like I'm promoting formula. Like if you're well enough or you're willing to maybe take a little bit of that pain or if your pain is maybe bearable to you and you still want to have that connection with your baby, please go ahead, honestly. But if, again, like you're saying, if you, your choice is to, to improve your, your pain, because remember many of us have to return to work. So, so we need that time to recover, to, to be well, because now we're going to be working moms. We're going to be moms. We're going to be looking after it's still the, the, the woman's role still hasn't changed. Like we get more support from men. My, my husband is completely supportive. Like he does his laundry. Like he's amazing. He cooks for me like when I'm not well. Like he's amazing, but but it's still as a mom, you know. I don't know. I just it's a woman. I'm I'm Latina. Like like it just it's just so nurturing yeah. that you have to be there for your kid. So when you realize that it's it's that that you you're kind of taxing. Like you have to think of and a little bit ahead. You're returning to work. You want to make sure that you're building up your strength, that you are going to now concentrate for your for your child, your children, now work. You want to have a balance like your mental uh, mental health, physical health. It, there's so many things that we need to think about. So um, afterward, you know, they put, they put you, they gave you opiates. Did you, did you return to using um, cannabis to help with the inflammation, to help with all of that instead of using the opiates? How did you make another transition? Yeah, so I definitely, I probably maybe five or six months after I was a little bit more stable after all the um, kind of my side effects from my, my baby's uh, delivery, I, I went back to the clinic and I said, you know, I want to restart. And so I started a regime again with the, with, with the cannabis um, oils. I started with the, um, mainly the oils I use, but I started giving a chance to the vaping. Uh, and started the dry flower. And I, I started to notice that a more immediate effect when I took the flower. Mm-hmm. And so for like a maintenance, the oils were amazing. But if I was starting to feel a little bit of like more pain or uncomfortable, or I wanted to maybe that quick kind of, um, maybe a, a kind of kick in so I could sleep a little bit faster, I would wait. So that's when I started to incorporate a little bit more of that. And, I, and then more uh, massage oils. So like with my husband, we started like just to, you know, like just do more massage. It's interesting because he also has some, a little bit of osteoarthritis because he's a contractor. So what he does in massage 
with the cannabis oil, it actually helps relieve the pain in his joints. So I, I in a way, like cannabis has brought us back together. Like I, I has improved our relationship for some reason. The That's more so like cool. connection. That's so cool. Oh, I love that. When the when the clinic gave you the oils, Christina, did they are those edibles? I mean, did they give you like oil to put in your food, or did you just put it under your tongue? Um, under my tongue. So okay. typically, that's what they do. Like you put it under your tongue. That's uh, ideally. So what they they initially right, and I still kind of don't like those concepts about sativa and uh, you know sativa and indica. And you know what? I think that's kind of old school now because now we know that the flowers are mostly coming from hybrids, right? right. So, so it might be maybe sativa dominant and might be um, indica dominant. And I think Michael, I believe was the one from the first yeah. episode, he explained very well how there are other components in the flower that can also interact with that and can enhance that the, the medicinal yeah. benefit. So that's, uh, I, I started to maybe ex experiment a little bit more in terms of the, the different products. And that's what it kind of leads me to explain a little bit how things work in Canada. So, so in Canada, we, we do have the, um, uh, well, cannabis is legal, like a recreational, it was legal in 2018. And, uh, but then a medical, as a medical, uh, the medical cannabis has been around like for a couple of decades or, or more. Yeah, probably from the late 90s, I believe, or 2000. So it's been there for a while. But so when you, you go, to a family physician now, and the, that consultation is covered by the OHIP. So that's actually the Ontario Health, um, uh, like the provincial program. So we don't have to pay out of pocket to see the physician wow. that prescribes awesome. or, or, or that recommends uh, cannabis. Uh, so you go through this uh, this clinics. Um, they do like a uh, like a full assessment. When it was face to face, I liked it better because they used to take the blood pressure. There was like a little bit more details in terms of the assessments. Then after like a, a nurse kind of assess assesses you. They send you to the physician, and then this physician kind of reviews your medical history, and it, 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 it starts to maybe look at your medications, if there's any interactions or maybe other conditions. And then they'll make a suggestion in terms of the amounts that um, may be allowed per day, and they create a medical document. It's not called a prescription because there's not a den, right? It's not a pharmaceutical. So it's called a medical document. So this medical document um, is transferred to a licensed uh, provider. So when they prepare the medical document, they actually uh, send it to a cannabis educator and the cannabis educator, it explains to you how you're going to use the product. So they tell you, okay, so you're gonna use the oil, so use uh, this, uh, this amount, and this is how you can titrate it up every couple of days. Uh, this is how much you can use and at night, uh, in the morning, um, maybe this is how you can use it. So they, they give you very uh, basic information, like a cannabis education information, uh, some of the side effects uh, uh, that you may experience. Um, I do find that they're very conservative at starting off you on only CBD um, dominant products. So they're very cautious. I, I still feel they're very conservative in how they manage, but but I think it's a good start, at least the process to walk you through, right? That yeah. 
And then, so once that document is prepared, it's sent out to a licensed provider or a company that um, has all access to all these the cannabis products. So you can purchase your products online. So the doctor or the nurse practitioner may suggest, yeah, you can have this oil and we recommend this. But when you go on the site, you can buy whatever you want, really. Oh, <laughs> because yeah. you have a you have a, a daily allowance or a monthly allowance so so then like uh, it could be like from one gram to like five grams of cannabis a day um but they're even capping that but that's a whole new story like they're they're actually maybe telling the the procedure hey be careful of how much you're actually prescribing right is the patient actually using it but but that's like a, a different story. But just like a, all the over the overview is that once they hook you up with a licensed provider, you you can purchase your own cannabis, and then uh, and then every and then they set up follow ups maybe every month, every couple of months, or every three months, and um, so they can renew that medical document. That's in general how it works. Um, in Canada, or at least, uh, yeah, in Canada, generally that's how it works, uh, or in Ontario, and, and that's been the process. But there has been some caveats, though. As I started to learn more about cannabis, I, I started, like, asking more questions, right? And then, so tell me, okay, what if I don't want to use the oil? Can you tell me about the, the chemical? Can I use more products with THC? Uh, I don't know, maybe not. Like there's still a lot of red tape around the use of THC. So they, they, they push and they push for the CBD products more when it comes to like the medical cannabis patients when you go through the, the, the cannabis clinics. And, and so I'm still searching for a clinic that can really see a more holistic approach. So you see, we're still struggling. Like we still not have it. We still know, don't have it perfect. And there's another thing that maybe I can share with you is that when I got hooked up to the licensed provider, the products were so expensive. And I said, how am I going to keep up with this? Yeah. Cannabis is a privilege. Access to cannabis is a privilege. Like it's, 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 it's not a right. It's, it's not covered by the, the health insurance. I started asking, as I learned more, okay, so is it just the one licensed provider that I'm I able to sign up for? It's, no, you can divide that up and they can actually send it to different clinics. But guess what? They are favoring the ones that they're getting more kind of money back. And I was, ah, that's disgusting. I mean, it's, it's, it's expensive here to buy the products. I think that's why, you know, we kind of talked on the prior episodes about, you know, making your own, it's why we promoted, you know, the DIY group, because it is much cheaper to make your own oils, to make your own butter, to make your own products. I don't know about the legalities of that in Canada, but here, you know, if you can get your hands on some flour, you can make a lot of your own stuff and salves, lotions. I mean, anything, balms, tinctures, it's wonderful, but it's expensive. And that's the problem. Like when you're first starting out, a lot of people don't know what's going to work for them. So they have Mm -hmm. to experiment and that Mm -hmm. can cost a lot. 
Yeah, that is, that's a very good point because that I was, I got to a point that it was almost like 300, $400. It's like, come on, I have a baby and he's on formula. Like I, I can't, I have to choose between the formula of cannabis. <laughs> like, <Right>. what? <laughs> right? So I, I got angry and I said, there's gotta be other options. And they told me, oh yeah, we have one option. It's um, a Redican. It was like half the price and even less. And I said, what? So that's the, the little things that when I started just talking to this clinic, it wasn't just this naive patient. I, I became more empowered medical mm -hmm. cannabis patient. So I go to, and I said, well, I can't afford, you know, the oils, like they're working great, but I'm also doing my own, I'm making my own products. And so, so then the, the doctor started noticing, oh, you know what, that's great. Like he noted that. And so, because when you make your own products, uh, you can't really measure the concentrations, right? As much as like a, you will get the oil from the licensed provider and they say it's about 20% or you have um, 30 milligrams of uh, CBD and one melt, right? And, and, and so, but when you're making your own, because you're losing so much through extraction and through the carboxylation, unless you have a whole like lab testing uh, toolkit in your home, <laughs> so, like, uh, you really won't know how much the concentration you're actually taking. So that's when I said to them that it's, it kind of takes that extra step to understand how that's gonna work. And I, we don't have that here. Like uh, it's also the patient experimenting and, and I don't think that's fair because it's like almost like a fall blinded in this, in this air and this field. It, it, it has become a burden on the patient to either have the money to buy this stuff pre-made or have the money to experiment and find what works and make their own. But it, it does put the burden on us. And I, and I say it all the time. I'm like the you know, we, we need to push for legalization across the board. We need to push for, for things to change and yes. people need to start speaking out and we need to erase the stigma with cannabis. So this becomes a little bit easier for all of us, but that's going to take time. But I think we're moving. I feel, I feel that at least we're moving in the right direction. We are having more conversations. We are, we're moving from the, like we said, like the stigma of calling it marijuana, because now we know that's a racist term against that's right. like Hispanic. So I don't use that word. It, it, it hurts me. So it's cannabis. That's the plant's name. And it's a beautiful plant. It can do wonders for you. Yeah. And so, and the thing is, and I always happens to me when it comes about to talk to nutrition, it's almost the end of the podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. We're still going to talk about nutrition. We are still oh, yeah. going to get to this. Keep this going. is very important. <laughs> I so, love what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, you've talked, you've talked a lot about like how can, you know, how cannabis has, has, has helped you. And I think that that's really an important part of all this because you know, you've gotten to the point where you were using cannabis for your, for your chronic pain. And, and I really wanted you to tell your story because I think it was very different from some of the other stories we've heard, but you went and you got your, your certificate, you got a certificate in holistic, it was at holistic, you're a holistic cannabis practitioner mm -hmm. and 
you know, I saw you posted a couple recipes on your site for using cannabis in, in food. And I think, I think it's important to talk about, like, you've got this, you've got this certificate and using cannabis in, in people's diets and nutrition. How do you, how do you work that into your diet and nutrition? You've talked about using oils and, and things like that, but some people actually like to use it in their food besides mm-hmm. brownies, of course. <laughs> yeah. Just like infusing their dinner or something. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So it just, again, like to clarify, and it's interesting because I, I don't put a lot of, I haven't put a lot of my blog about the recipes because again, in Canada, like regulated health professionals, mm-hmm. we still have that little bit of restrictions when it comes to mm-hmm. talking about cannabis. Uh, and so that's what I kind of took my part and and doing my own education. So I always put that disclaimer that if the if cannabis is the right fit for them to seek for the competent healthcare provider or you know speaking of physician, a nurse practitioner. In my case, uh, it's like when I'm doing my assessments or my counseling or co- coaching with my clients, I ask about supplements, I ask about environments, but I openly ask about are you using cannabis because I don't want them to feel ashamed that it's, it's just like a, when I, when I asked them, how are you feeling? I said, don't tell me I'm okay. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. And, and so, and this is how about look the same thing with cannabis. So I, it's surprising that most of the patients that I see, they actually consuming at some degree or they had try cannabis. And, and so, so I always, when I provide any recommendations, I said, please make sure that if I, any recommendations I give, like you also discuss that with your physician and that, that is appropriate. And, and my goal and my, my goal really is to reach out to these uh, physicians and clinics that I can work with them in collaboration so that we can optimize the treatment. Because I went up to the cannabis uh, clinics and I said, okay, you're telling they're taking cannabis, they're helping with the pain. Guess what? They're making edibles, they're making their gummies, they're making cookies, and it makes them feel good. It makes it medicinal, but it's also pro-inflammatory. So you are kind of contradicting the effect of cannabis. Mm-hmm. So if we're having our gummies, we're full of sugars. You know there are there's evidence that increases inflammation. Yes. Um, so even though it's pleasant, it's easier, right? It's, it's discreet to use. So what are other options uh, where you can use cannabis? Right. Like I, I have a V I found, finally found a vegan edible, um, cause I can't do gelatin, mm-hmm. um, that actually causes inflammation in my gut more so than sugar, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And so I finally found a good vegan edible and, but that took forever for them to make vegan edibles. I don't know why, but like everything had gelatin in it, which also, by the way, for anyone who is vegetarian, edibles were off the table for them. Yep. Absolutely. It's so true. That's a, that's a really good point. I haven't really found anything that um, I also like follow a gluten-free diet because I, I need to follow like, a, but I think this is what I really like to, to highlight to patients when I talk to them. And I said, you know how we have a system that responds to morphine? Mm-hmm. And then we call it that, that, that we produce our own morphine, which, which is called endorphins. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? We also have a system that 
produces their own endocannabinoids, right? So yep. when we start thinking about just even what we can do to enhance our own endocannabinoid system and how we can promote uh, the more like production of our own uh, endocannabinoids that perhaps we might not even need the plant cannabinoids from cannabis. So when we are uh, consuming, when we, when we include foods in our diet, and this is how my conversation is changing a little bit now in terms of the inflammation, anti-inflammatory style um, and way of living. I don't like to call it diet. It's a way of living that is going to make you feel good. It's going to make you feel um, maybe less pain and less fatigue. But when I think about it, there's got to be a good balance of those healthy fats, right? Like the omega-3s, even a good balance of omega-6, because without them, we cannot produce our own endocannabinoids. So, so then I start thinking about how, what are the foods that we're going to uh, heal our, heal our gut, yeah. because we know that 70 of like 70% of our immune system cells are in the gut. Also the CB2 receptors, part of that endocannabinoid system are mostly located in the immune system. And there is like a evidence showing that uh, if we start kind of stimulating, they're still under trying to understand how we can uh, stimulate those receptors that can help reduce inflammation. So if we even start um, kind of activating our own internal endocannabinoid system, and that includes an, following an anti-inflammatory way of eating, having a healthy relationships, uh, enjoying sex, uh, having uh, implementing um, uh, relaxation techniques, connecting your mind, your body. Uh, it's it's just beyond really. It's beyond nutrition itself, right? It's it's, it's yeah. about healing, and yeah. it's about using like leveraging from that system that is within us. To keep us in balance. <laughs> I love it. Leveraging the system. Leveraging. So that's how I kind of begin my conversation. When we are doing an anti-inflammatory uh, nutrition, is that we're also feeding that endocannabinoid system. We want to keep it under control. That we want to stimulate, um, like the anandamide is one, like the one of the the first endocannabinoids, and it means bliss. Is is the one they said that the the runner's high is more related to the production of anandamide rather than endorphins. So like if you feel happy, and 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 there's there's evidence, right, that when you like like sex, when you're actually having orgasms, it reduces inflammation, it reduces pain. So, so think about that. It's not only about nutrition. It's a lifestyle that you kind of want to aim for. It's just passionate about it. <laughs> no, that's, I, I love, first of all, I love your passion for it. Yes, me too. Very much. <laughs> um, but it's, it's very true. Like, I think people see it being just a diet, it being just, you know, just food or just one aspect, but you, you do need to look at it as a life. You need, you need to look at your lifestyle. You need to look at your, the changes you need to make in your body as a lifestyle. That's Because if, if if you don't, then it's, it's also easy to fail if you don't, but Mm -hmm. when you look at it as a lifestyle and you start feeling better, you, you realize like, it's great. 
it's great when you start feeling better and you keep going yeah right because it's like I'm feeling better and I'll tell you something and I again I don't have any evidence for this and I share with my rheumatologist two months ago all my RA medications were stopped because I had bladder infections like back back to back but surprisingly I really didn't have much pain and I still continue to be active and I I even started taking more clients it's like uh, <laughs> what's going on here and and the all the, the thing that I've been consistent is with a uh, very low dose of prednisone because my evil like my necessary evil but very low dose but my cannabis and and different ways so I was like um do I still need all those medications <laughs> come back that is a good question I mean I think I think Holly touched on it in the last episode where she saw a lot of people in the group start using cannabis and suddenly like, not suddenly, but over time scale back on their meds Mm -hmm. or come off their meds completely Mm -hmm. because the cannabis was doing such a great job with their pain or their symptoms that really the meds just weren't doing as much for them. They, they were just able to scale back. And, And by the way, you know, the caveat in this is these are anecdotal. These are not, this is not Mm -hmm. scientific. There's, you know, there are some scientific studies out there. There aren't enough. There's not. If we could federally legalize this, there would be so much more information. Yes. Because then, you know, we'd have, we'd have a lot more research done on all of these. These are all anecdotal stories. Um, We need more anecdotal stories to be honest, because that could help with the legalization process. But I mean, you, you've talked about using oils, taking oils and stuff like that. And we, we've talked, we've touched on like food a little bit, or are there some do's and don'ts for using cannabis in food or ingesting it or anything like that? Like advice you would give to people if they're like, well, I don't really like taking the oils. I kind of want to mix it in Mm -hmm. something to ingest it. Are there some do's and don'ts you would give to people? No, so generally you always want to, if you're choosing to take the, um, the oils, um, yeah, sometimes the taste is not that very pleasant. So it tends to really absorb quickly, right? Like if you put it under your tongue, but if you don't tolerate it, then it would become officially inedible, right? So it will take, instead of taking maybe 30 minutes to get it start to kick in, it's going to take up to two hours if you consume it and you mix it up with food. So I typically ask, like, just mix it up with um with a uh, with something that is has fat in it, right? So I typically ask them like to mix it up in yogurt, right? Um, yogurt is kind of my my best bet unless you're super. Maybe you can have guacamole. Really, it's like doesn't matter. But something that contains uh, a fat, and if it's a healthy fat, it's a healthy oil, oil carrier is even better. Okay. So could the person could somebody use honey? To mix it in with honey, like a little bit of honey, or is that a no? Well, you could use the honey, but like, again, I really discourage the use of honey uh, or any sh- uh, sugary, like I use it, right. like I use okay. it, right? Like I, I'm, I'm and, and this is the thing, I'd rather use honey or maple syrup than sweeteners, because sweeteners, we still don't know what is the impact of in our gut microbiome. So yeah. I'd rather you have your maple syrup than having like a stevia, to be honest. So, so everything. So if, if anything that makes you uh, feel good, like um, even just a, a little, like maybe rice pudding. Okay. You want to have rice pudding, mix it up with your rice pudding in there. So as long as there is some sort of uh, fat in it, 
Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even if you want to drink it, um, I don't know, maybe chocolate milk that you want to prepare, right? Or, or just simply milk. Um, that I think that will make it better. And that's an option to consume that oil. I started to use more about making my own oils. And I actually like to infuse my olive oil and I use it in my cooking. There's a, there's a show on, um, I don't even know what channel anything is anymore, where they do all the cooking and they, 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 you know, infuse food with cannabis and it's amazing. And like, it's all gourmet and it's beautiful. So it's fascinating what they'll cook with cannabis. Like it's just, yeah, so yeah. I love the idea of infusing and they do, they use infused olive oils all the time. We use it for everything else. Like we infuse it with garlic, we infuse it with like rosemary, with so many herbs. Well, cannabis is another herb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Right>? definitely. <laughs> use it. Just infuse it, and and you and you don't really get that that taste. I, I know. I typically use like a strain that is like a CBD, um, so that you know, so I can use it in a daily cooking, right? So, and I'm not gonna get that kind of side effect, like. I'm working, I, I did my, let's say I, I have my egg in the morning and I do like um, maybe a fried egg and a little bit of olive oil, but I don't want to have a little bit of THC that is going to put me to sleep around two o'clock while I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> right? Definitely. <laughs> Sorry, client. Here I am. <laughs> so I'm not been here. So I, so that's why we want to keep that balance that if you're going to use Personally, if I use for like cooking, like daily cooking, I use mostly um, a CBD, CBD. Uh, flour yeah. that, okay. uh, that I can, I think that's, that's very important. Some other tricks like I, I kind of learned along the way. So we know about, um, and I think Michael explained that very well in terms when you need to decarb, uh, use the carboxylation of your, of your plant. But here's a little trick. So when you are going to decarb, so uh, when it's a CBD flour or a THC, um, they burn at different temperatures, like at the decarb at different temperatures. Oh. So the CBD uh, takes a little bit longer to kind of uh, uh, completely decarboxylate it and THC is less. And also sometimes if you wanna, so I think the temperatures, I'll, I'll give you the times that I can't remember here. So typically, if you have a, tea, a THC uh, dominant flour, so you will want to uh, decarb around like a 210 degrees by Fahrenheit for 90 minutes. But then the CBD will be a higher temperature, maybe at 295 degrees. And, and so about for the same amount of time for about 90 minutes. But if you have a balanced flour, like a 50-50 THC CBD, you want something around 230 degrees to 240 degrees for about 90 minutes. And there's also another uh, way, uh, it's like the partial decarboxylation, is that when you don't wanna lose all the terpenes, so you wanna do it for less, like for maybe half the time, so for 45 minutes or so. When you're decarbing and you, I use my oven, to be honest, I don't have any extravagant equipment. I just kind of use my regular equipment at home. Uh, but I make sure that I, when you're breaking the flour, you're breaking it with your hands. You don't use the grinder. 
because when you break it with your hands, like uh, you're gonna, um, there's less damage to the flower and the cannabinoids that you'll find. Mm -hmm. So, so make sure that you do it like your hands, and then you um, maybe use um, uh, some like a cornware that you can use the cover, so you don't lose all the terpenes. Because if you leave it open, then you're losing all those terpenes that are so important. Uh, typically, you can do uh, the oils. Um, like the magic, like a magic, I, I bought, I bought the magic butter machine. I have one and, that's just like that. Yeah. I got right? them. The infusium. Yep. I, they're the infusium. great. Aren't they? And that, they're amazing. Yes. But I didn't realize that you need to use so much oil. Like I, I have to make all these bags. Yes. Cause I know with the magic butter, you need two cups with yes. the one that I got, you just need one cup, but still it's like, oh, oh my God. God. That's a lot. It is because then you have to put a lot of cannabis in too. Then it's expensive. <laughs> that's 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 true. But typically, how we work it, like a, um, you put like a fifteen grams per uh, a cup of oil. Right. And then when you want to make sure that you know the flower, whenever you it's coming from, that is 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 a healthy flower. That it's not there's no pesticides, there's no mold. Right maybe from organic sources uh, that, that you're able, that the person or the dispensary or whatever you call, that they're able to give you um, a lab test res, uh, report where they can say, okay, this was tested because you know, I don't know, it might get like crappy stuff and you're not really getting any medicine out of it. Well, also like if it's got pesticides and stuff, and that's stuff you're putting into your, like your body, you're putting that into your body and we, we have enough that we're inhaling and putting into our bodies. We don't need to add that to it. Mm -mm. Exactly. So we need to minimize those toxins because again, that's going to keep our endocannabinoid system healthy. Another thing that uh, I found is that uh, you typically, you want to keep your oils in, um, in a dark glass container away from light and heat because that um, further kind of deteriorates the oils and the cannabinoids. Um, however, sometimes with, with CBN, right, like that's something, there's a degradation of like the CBD and it's when like basically when the flower gets old, <laughs> that's when you're, you're getting more of that CBN, but we still oh. can't measure that. So, so what if somebody like makes, you know, it, if they can bring the product home, the flower and they make their own oils, mm -hmm. I mean, do they keep that? Like I know in a dark place in a dark glass, but do they have to refrigerate that too, or or no? Um, you know, ideally, yes, it will it will kind of keep uh, extend the the shelf life of that oil okay. uh, if you keep it refrigerated. So it is it is true. So you you wanna make sure that always kind of use this kind of sanitize your 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 utensils. Sometimes you can maybe forget about that, right? Like a. And maybe we said, oh no, it could be any container. No, it, it needs, because you wanna protect the plant. You wanna protect the quality of those, um, the cannabinoids, the terpenes, and so many other components uh, that you wanna take advantage of. So one of the things that you were mentioning that we use in magic and something I learned recently is that when you use the crock pot or the, um, sorry, the double boiler yeah. system to, to make your oil, you uh, maybe get, you lose actually almost like 40% of the cannabinoids and the terpenes. Oh. When you use the magical butter machine, it, you lose about 20%. Yeah, so you tend to kind of preserve more with the, with the and, I, and I can see it, right? Because it's kind of more contained, right? And, and, and keep yeah. it so, 
So look at all the factors that actually uh, it takes to, to really uh, get all the benefits of the medicinal benefits that we don't really learn those things. Like, right? like it, it's, it, it takes a lot of, um, a, a lot of these networking, like the, the Facebook groups that you learn so much from them too and from other patients so much. And that's, that's, I think, I think that's really important. Like I learned stuff reading, you know, I, I read your blog and I was looking at your website and there's so much, you know, that you're putting up and that I learned there and joining the Facebook group that, you know, Michael and Holly promoted and belong to. There's so much information there. Like I, I, and I said it at the start, my head is like exploding with all this information. I just, um, it's so interesting though, isn't it? You start off with like, <laughs> oh yeah, I kind of know I go to the dispensary and I get my stuff and, you know, I kind of make this oil and whatever. And then people start talking and you're like, I know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> That's I so am true. dumb. I know zero. Um, scratching my I head thought I was smart and I'm really not. <laughs> and uh, whatever. But yeah, there's so much information and, and you just want to make sure you're going to reputable sources and that's mm-hmm. the other side of it. You, you want to make sure you're following science. You want to make sure you're, you're listening to reputable sources when you do this stuff. You know, you don't want to explode your house. Absolutely. And, and I think there are many things that I, I, I've been asked, are you going to grow cannabis? And I said, to be honest, no. I'm going to be one of those. I have a child and not because I have the stigma. I will let him like garden the, the plants like any other other plant. But I think it's all the extra like you the and, and we are in Canada, like the, the climate really, unless you have those control conditions and you know how. I'm really not interested in learning and all that if I can really purchase. My I'm right there flower. with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you have to like take the plant in in the winter and put it in that controlled environment. You really should have a, a tent, like a grow tent, because then you can really control the temperature and the lighting. And yeah. it's oh, it's a pain in the ass. I mean, it's a lot of work. And I'm like, I think I buy shake. So shake is cheap. <laughs> <So> I go <laughs> to the dispensary and I get my shake. But I, I mean, growing obviously makes things much cheaper, but it's Mm -hmm. not always, I mean, like, even if I wanted to grow, we don't have one spot to grow. So there's nothing I could do anyway. Whereas I like have an entire backyard that gets direct sun 90% of the year (laughs) and has dirt where like weeds grow like weeds. So I probably could grow back there. My, I taught, you know, I, I just don't know if I want to grow back there. Um, Cause it's also where the utility guy comes in and looks at the utilities. So do I really mm. want him looking through that bag? He might take half of it. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I asked that to all my peers and I said, like, they said, no, like grow it. And I said, no, I know that you're going to get it because even like the raw cannabis has so many antioxidants and, and nutritional benefits that um, you got like the extra fiber, the chlorophyll, like all those anti-inflammatory and antioxidants, the, the CBA, uh, CBDA, THCA, right? Like all those other cannabinoids oh, yeah. that we know. And I know I wish I could have my raw cannabis, but I honestly, I don't have, I got too much to cope. I have to really take so, my priorities to be yes, honest. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole thing about cannabis. People only like people just get really caught up in the, you know, sativa indica aspect of it, but they, they're not looking at the plant as a whole Yes. and what the plant as a whole can do And there's so many aspects of it, you know, there, and you just touched on it. There's, there's, you know, 
you have, oh gosh, there's so many nutritional aspects of the plant, mm-hmm. plus like the terpenes, plus, you know, plus the sativa, plus the indica and the effects that that can have the CBDA, the CBDN, the CBDG, the, mm-hmm. I mean, the fiber of the plant itself, you, you know, we need fiber in our diet. Um, oh. It's true. Exactly. And and then we know we need we don't need to know that we have more than like 90, there's like more than 90 or almost like close to 100 cannabinoids that you're still they're still learning about, right? Like THC and CBD is only scratching surface, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I think that's where when when I see a cannabis and I have integrated it into like my my nutrition lifestyle, is for instance, I use it in my uh, the flour itself, right? Like when it's dry, it's not decarb. So I'm preparing my, let's say my bowl of cereal, like uh, I have my, my granola, my yogurt, uh, maybe some quinoa, hemp hearts. And then I sprinkle some of that flour on my- um, Smart. And so, and I said, well, I'm, I'm getting it, right? Like I, it's, I'm not getting any psychoactive effects because it's not decarbed. Right. It's just a flower, right? But I know I'm getting other antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. Can I measure those? No, right? But it's like, a, can you measure all the vitamin C that you're getting from a, from a, from an orange? Not really. No. Like, you know, an estimation, this is how much vitamin C you could get from it. But there's other factors that can affect the concentration of vitamin C on the size, right? The, uh, the, how much fiber. That, so it's the same principles kind of apply to cannabis. So I use it so uh, when I when I break it up, if I make my energy uh, my energy bites. So um, that's kind of my form of edibles. I try to use more of those nuts that contains extra omega six or a good balance of omega six right. and omega six omega three that is going to enhance the effects of cannabis without making me um, without promoting inflammation. Well, uh, it's one, like, like sprinkling furikake on top of your soup or on top of your noodles. Yeah. You can just sprinkle some some flour on top of whatever, or like you make overnight oats, so you can eat breakfast in the morning. You sprinkle some flour on top of that, like very exactly. simple way to get to get that that extra antioxidant in there. That's just a wonderful way to do it. And Christina, could mm-hmm. you, could there, um, I know I've seen people get those veggie caps, like just empty vegetarian capsules. Mm-hmm. Can you take just the raw cannabis and put it in the capsule and take it that way too, right? Yeah, you can do it, but you want to make sure like to mix it with some or like a oil, oil right. like a, okay. a carrier oil. And you want to go for like a, a, a the kind of healthy, like a, you want to go for that maybe, but also like avocado oil, coconut oil, like grapeseed oil. Um, those are like a pretty good oils that you can consume. Hemp oil even, yeah. because yeah. it's like even using the hemp products themselves, like hemp hearts, they're like a, almost designed the nutritional pack that is in there in terms of the balance of omega-6 and omega-3s that they have a specific fatty acids that is going to synthesize the endocannabinoids and they're going to help the kind of uptake the cannabinoids that we take from the plant. So so even when I started to see nutrition from how I'm feeding that my balancing system, I'm seeing it differently. I'm seeing it like beyond when you look at the anti-inflammatory and then autoimmune protocol. And when I'm starting to see, you know, I'm feeding my system that is keeping balance among all the other systems, 
then I that's that's how I'm producing inflammation. How I'm pairing cannabis with other uh, condiments or spices that contain terpenes to enhance that. So perhaps you you heard of the golden milk, right? Yes. Yes. Right. So we're using like uh, you could use uh, milk or a, or a plant based beverage. Uh, typically, I like to use coconut milk. And you have like turmeric, you use your maple syrup, you use cinnamon, you could use a little bit of ginger powder in it. So once uh, you prepare your milk, I have my, my recipe there and my story, and you prepare the milk. And then afterwards, you add your oil because you wanna, that's another thing, you wanna make sure that once you have prepared the oil, because that oil had been prepared at a certain temperature, you don't want to reheat it at a temperature that was above that because you're killing those cannabinoids. Christina, how did you like, I know that you went and you got your certificate to be a cannabis practitioner. How else did you learn? I mean, for people out there who are wondering, you have so much information and they feel like they don't have any. What is a good way to start (laughs) learning about cannabis? for people? Oh, a good, a good way. I think, um, I think joining this, uh, I, I guess it depends on where you're located really, because sometimes I get questions from people in the U.S. and they ask me about products, but I'm not, I'm not fully aware of all the products out there in the U.S., but it's maybe easier for me to access what are the products available here in Canada because we have them mostly online or we have the dispensaries where we can kind of consult. So I think I initially what it really helped me to learn about cannabis, not only aside from the, the programs, last summer uh, we got together with this group of women who were like medical cannabis patients and advocates and then um we created um, a group called Educanation. So Educanation is a um, nonprofit now. It's um, all the ladies super involved. I'm just there. I, I support them and help when I can. But the, I, the mission of Educanation is to promote high quality education, cannabis education across the nation. So we're trying to really use as much as an evidence-based uh, education considering the Canadian regulations. So we, because sometimes you can go on the Facebook groups, but don't, they don't always meet the regulations that may, may be established, let's say in the state or even here in Canada. So our mission is to, is that we're starting to prepare some modules and with the IMD platform, when we're gonna start creating some uh, basic information for our cannabis patients. Uh, so that's uh, one project that I was involved with serendipity, and I love that word. It just kind of showed up there by out of nowhere. And I started growing and all these little tricks is that I learned from these ladies who have been growing, cooking with uh, cannabis for years. So these, those things you don't learn at the certificates, um, the trainings, you mm-hmm. don't. The more I, I spend time with them and I learn with them, the more passionate I get about this, the more sense of nutrition, the, the nutrition, uh, the impact of nutrition can have in our bodies while we're trying to heal and while we're trying to live and thrive with a chronic illness. Yeah. And I, and I think that's really true. I think, um, you know, you can get the, you can get a base education about, about cannabis or, and, 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 and how it works with nutrition. But I think you, there's the practical side of it that you're learning 
from other people that have been involved in it for years. And again, most of what we're learning is just anecdotal because people have been experimenting with it. And, you know, we, we just don't have much science associated, like, like studied science with it. Um, so we're, we're going a lot on anecdotal stories, but we're seeing the same evidence with anecdotal stories over and over again. Yeah. I think what you're saying is like, get involved, find, find groups, find groups that are experimenting and learn from them, learn from what they've found works and then find what is working for you. And that's, I think that's the best way to do it. But, um, We've kind of run out of time. I could talk for <laughs> hours. Oh my gosh. I could listen to I you mean, forever, Christina. Like I love <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> Thank you. Like this is this has been so interesting. And yes. I'm just like, okay, I want to keep talking, but <laughs> We have run out of time. Um, so I want to thank you very, very much for coming on yes. the show. If people want to know more, they can find you at arthritisdietitian.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they can find you on Instagram, I, Facebook too. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, we will, we will put your information, um, in the show notes and, um, on like all of the ways we promote the show. And uh, we just are so grateful you came on. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Your story is so amazing. And we really encourage people to go to your website, find out more about you. You do work with with patients and and clients in Canada. So if you're Mm -hmm. listening in Canada, you can reach out to Christina. Um, Obviously, if you've listened this far, you know she's amazing. And uh, (laughs) we thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. (laughs) Great. Okay. You guys, thank you for listening and you all have a great and fantastic week. Feel free to join us in the Facebook group, ask questions, um, you know, tell us any stories you want to tell us. Obviously the Facebook group is a great place to be and we'll chat again next week. Bye you guys.